So when I first heard this song, it made me think of High School Musical, but it's actually a pretty clever GP recruitment campaign. So there's this small town in southwestern New South Wales called Tamora, and it's unfortunately losing some of its GPs to retirement in the next couple of years. It can be tricky to entice GPs to rural areas, but GP obstetrician Dr. Rachel Christmas decided an all-dancing singing video was the way to go. Yes, I can hear what you're thinking. Dr. Christmas seems like a very fitting name for the brains behind such a jolly project. So with a $5,000 grant, Tamora has turned their recruitment drive into a catchy pop song. Do you know what that place is called? It's called Tamora. We have facilities, state of the see. Hi, Dr. Christmas. So did your video work? Did you manage to find some GPs who were interested in moving to tomorrow? Oh, hi, Felicity. Look, I tell you what, I'd love to say that after only six days in our video being, recruit, uh, being released that we've been inundated with calls and offers for work. But no, look, we've had a few people interested, but I think what we're looking, well, you know, sort of little niggles, niggles around the edges, but people who are really thinking about moving for a different life choice or because they're wanting to join a different community are very rarely going to make this decision just at the drop of a hat. They've got to talk to their family about it. They've got to think, oh, is this for us? Look into it, ring us up, say, oh, you know, talk about it and find out a bit more and then think maybe I'll come and visit, that kind of thing. So we're hoping that we're going to get some good interest in a little while. And can you tell me a little bit about Tamora? So Tamora is a little town about 400 kilometres west of Sydney with sort of an hour north of Wagga Wagga, which is one of the main uh, regional towns in New South Wales. And it's a population of around 4,000 and there's 7,000 in our district. And Tamora is one of these funny little towns. There's nothing, not one particular thing that's going to make you say, oh, I want to go to Tamora for that. But there's something about our town that when people come here, they say, I don't, don't know what it is about Tamora, but there's something about it. And I think it's our community. We have a really, really fantastic community. We've got a good quality of life here. We have high satisfaction of people living here. We've got high um, volunteering uh, levels within the community. So about 30% of people living in the town volunteer in some capacity, which is amazing. Um, so, you know, I think it's not so much about the physical environment or what it is that makes Tamora special regarding, you know, what might draw someone here, but it's what keeps people here. Well, you've clearly got a lot of spirit from that video. It's, it just looks like the most joyful place. <laughs> oh, look, I think, yeah, that's right. I think the people here really got behind this project, and I think that's one thing I do like about the town is that if we see something that needs doing or we want something, we do our best to get it. <laughs> and do you appear in the video? Yeah, so all of us did. All of the doctors at the medical centre were in it, plus some nurses and reception staff. <laughs> and who wrote the music and did the choreography for the video? So we outsourced our production of this video to Blue Clay Marketing and Creative. And, uh, do you think some other towns uh, like Tamora might be starting to make their own viral videos to attract GPs? Oh, who knows? Who knows? Um, I'd love to see it because I think anything that puts rural health up on the map is great. I think there's a real um, misconception about what being a country doctor is like and what living in the country is like. And I think anything that gives it a positive spin is a good idea. I think it's a great job. It's a fantastic career. Uh, and it's a really worthwhile profession in terms of the contribution you make to your community. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for your time today and best of luck finding some new GPs for tomorrow.
Welcome back to another episode of The Medical Republic. I'm Francine Crimmins, and I'll be interviewing the co-host of the show, Felicity Nelson. Felicity, welcome back to your own program. Hi, Francine. It's very exciting to be here. (laughs) Uh, The reason why we're interviewing Felicity today is because she wrote a great feature on myopia. I was really interested in it. My first thought when I was reading it is that I started to freak out a little bit. I'm someone who has had myopia ever since, well, forever. Um as far as I can remember. And I was a little bit concerned of all the things that are far more likely to happen if you have myopia your whole life. Um, Yeah, so myopia is a massive problem at the moment. Um, It's growing worldwide. Uh, So about 30% of people in the world have myopia, which means they have uh, sort of elongated eyeballs, which means that they can see things up close, but when things go into the distance, it gets really blurry. Um, and they need glasses to correct it. And they think that um, by 2050, half the population in the world is going to have myopia. And what's driving that is because kids are spending a lot more time indoors, looking at iPhones, looking at iPads, computers, TVs. Um, They're not outdoors as much as they used to be, and they're also focusing more on study and those kinds of things. Um, Particularly in Asian countries, it's really bad there. So they've got rates of like 80 to 90% of kids with myopia. In Australia, it's not so bad. It's like more like 30%. But yeah, so it's it's a bit of a problem. Um, Good if you're in the business of making glasses though. (laughs) (laughs) And contacts, I assume. But it's funny that you say that there's a lot of environmental factors that can lead to loss of uh, uh, vision, especially for people with myopia. I was wondering, though, there has to be other factors. I have always thought that it's more genetic because everyone in my family has myopia except for my mum, lucky lady. Uh, so is there genetic factors as well? There is, and they used to think that it was just genetic um, factors that were giving people myopia. Um, so if you've got one parent with myopia, you have about three times the risk, I think, and if you've got two parents, it's double that. Uh, but now that doesn't make sense because the gene pool hasn't changed much. So why are so many people getting myopia now? There's got to be something else that's feeding into it. Um, and if you just think about the number of screens and devices in your life, um, you've got no reason to look out a window now. Everything's happening like right in front of your face. <laughs> so um, I think one of the other things is people are very scared about letting their children wander around outside because it's dangerous. Uh, and in decades past... I don't know if this is like thinking about it as a golden age of childhood, but I, I imagine children had a little bit more outdoor time just wandering around. Yeah, but it's not just roaming around outside, is it? You know, reading and doing activities like that close up. Oh, yeah, well, reading, anything that's close to your face. So basically, this is quite interesting, actually. So like, light changes the further away it gets from you, and it changes in terms of how angular it is. If you have, say, like a book right in front of your face, the light rays are bouncing off that at quite wide angles and your eye is capturing all of that. So it has to bend those light rays quite a lot to get them back, Um, whereas stuff that's further away, uh, by the time it gets to your eye, it's pretty much parallel, so you don't have to bend it so much, if that makes sense. And so (laughs) the eyeball is sort of adapting for that environment of everything being really up close and all the light rays being really angular. And if you have a longer eyeball it's actually an advantage for reading up close because your the light rays have more time to bend back to meet the retina and focus whereas if you have quite a narrow eyeball like i do um that's not so good if you're trying to read up close so the moral of the story is pretty much just 
tell your kids they don't have to do their homework, let them just play outside for as long as they like? Uh, no. <laughs> I think also in Asia, you've got to think about air pollution. So I imagine a lot of children in, are inside because it's just really not healthy to be outside for long periods of time as well. Yeah. So what the optometrists say is that you, as a child, it's, it's okay to be studying. Just look up from your work every 20 minutes and look into the distance and have a desk with a you know, a window looking outdoors and those kinds of things. Even just really quick breaks are enough to, to help, but we don't have that built into our study yeah. culture. Yeah, so as I was mentioning before, when I was reading your feature, I noticed that maybe the current ways that we deal with myopia, so wearing glasses from childhood, perhaps that isn't the best way. And I started freaking out, so I lifted my glasses to my forehead and I just pulled my computer closer because I was like, oh, no, are you serious? (laughs) (laughs) Can you tell me a little bit about that? Um, Okay, yeah, so... Traditionally, the way that you would deal with myopia in a child would be that you would fix the problem with their eyes by giving them a lens that refracts the light slightly differently and allows the light rays, once they get to the back of the eye, to focus exactly on the retina, which means that everything looks really clear and it's, it's great. The problem with that is they've noticed that children, as they grow up, need stronger and stronger and stronger prescriptions of glasses, which means they go from like minus one to minus six. And the problem is when you get to the minus six and beyond I think it's minus four and beyond you start to um, become at risk for quite horrible eye diseases later in life Um, and the issue is that because something about progressing myopia uh, ages the eyes so your eye is like physically stretching and growing in an unhealthy way which makes all the tissue more fragile and it's more likely that problems are going to start to occur so you're going to get cataracts you're going to get um, macular degeneration um, which is where the um, central vision starts to go that's pretty bad there is <laughs> that an happens age, there is an age though where usually short-sightedness reaches a point where it stops isn't there yeah so once your eye stops growing about 18 to 25 that's when you're probably in in the clear but if you've got to the point where you have really bad myopia then your eye is is under a lot of pressure. Sorry, you look very upset. (laughs) Your eye is under quite a bit of kind of physiological pressure and it just means that the tissues um, are at higher risk. Oh, you poor thing. (laughs) All right, okay. (laughs) At higher risk of some problems. And it it just means that instead of you developing these problems in your 60s, 70s, 80s, you're more likely to get them in your 40s and 50s where they're extremely rare. So we're not talking about huge numbers of people, but it is enough for us to start to think about maybe some different treatments. Cool. So (laughs) moving along. Please please tell me then, what do I have to maybe look forward to in my 40s, 50s and 60s? Okay. So it's not that common that people with myopia develop these uh, horrible eye diseases in their 40s, 50s. Um, You don't need to counsel me. I can can cope with I think it's like a couple of percent, maybe. Um, But the thing is, that's the absolute risk. But in terms of relative risk, it goes up. 40 times maybe for some of these diseases if yeah. you have myopia so that's where uh it's it's not great as a in terms of public health in general um so the really nasty one is retinal detachment which is actually a medical emergency um so this is where the retina peels off the back of your eyes someone described it as like film coming off the back of a camera um wow. and you go blind pretty quickly unless they deal with it um so that's the one that people are really worried about do you know how you'd know if you have that 
I'm asking for a friend. <laughs> <laughs> I think you'd, you'd be... I have no idea. I'm not going to answer that question. I just don't know. But I do know that around half of cases of retinal detachment in the US are caused by myopia, um, if you're not counting the ones that are caused by injury. Um, mm. So if you knock yourself on the head, then you might have retinal detachment. But if you've got myopia, that, that does raise your risk yeah. slightly. <laughs> what is really positive, though, in the study is that there's these new contact lenses and or glasses that can help people's short-sightedness over a long period of time what are these and can I buy them (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if they would help you now but potentially um, no because they the same ones that are used in myopia are also used for presbyopia which is the um, sort of happens to you when you're a bit older so it might be that these new contact lenses are useful but the interesting thing is that there's this big revolution in thinking in optometry around myopia so instead of it being something that you can quite easily correct by slapping some glasses on it's now changing and they're thinking more about how can we treat it how can we slow down the progression they're thinking about it more like a disease it's not quite a lot of people wouldn't call myopia a disease, but they're thinking it more in those terms. Um, and they are developing really clever optical systems, so contact lenses with interesting designs that um, change the way the light rays go into your eye so that some of the, the gross signals from those light rays are interrupted. Yeah, so are these just in the study phase or are they on the market? So they've been researched for uh, since about 1995. There was a lot of work done in Queensland at Queensland University of Technology on some very early designs, and they got a couple of patents in. Um, those ones haven't turned into a product that is being marketed, but they are sort of going undergoing development. Um, there are some designs that have shot way ahead, and they've started marketing. They've started doing IPOs. They've uh, started rolling them out in Australia and around the world. Um, so they're contact lenses at different stages of development at the moment, um, and it's unclear which one's the winner. <laughs> so they have done some randomised control trials on a lot of them, and uh, they're pretty effective. It looks like they're slowing myopia around 50%, some of them up to 90%, so that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, so at what age are children who are developing myopia using these? The age that they want to get these children wearing these uh, therapeutic contact lenses is around 12. So in a lot of these studies, they were looking at 12-year-olds. And I think that's because that's when myopia really starts to kick off um, because you've got that growth spurt, I imagine, as a teenager. I can imagine some children would not be appropriate. And a lot of optometrists I spoke to said that they might be considering glasses instead. So there are actually some glasses that have involved this new kind of technology that also slows myopia. Uh, so there's one called DIMS in Hong Kong and China, and there's also one by Eslaw called Myopilux, and Zeiss has uh, got a pair of glasses called Myovision. Um, yeah, and they, they work sort of a similar way. So uh, do they look the same as the glasses that we'd wear normally? Yes, um, and so I can actually explain how they work. Can I explain the mechanism? Yeah, that really would cool. be great. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the really interesting bit that really got me hooked on this story was how the optics actually work in these new contact lenses. So when you give a child a standard pair of glasses, that will correct the vision in the centre of their 
eye um, so that they can see into the distance clearly. But an unintended consequence of that is that the peripheral light rays, so the light rays around the center of the eye, will actually get pushed further back. And that's just because the retina is sort of spherical um, and you're just applying sort of a standard um, one power uh, set of glasses across them. So that just because of geometry, it just pushes some of the peripheral light rays to the back. And what that does is um, the eye recognizes that those focal points are behind the eye. And so it tries to grow to fix that problem. It's, it's going, oh, well, why is the focal point there? Let's just make the eye a bit longer. So everything's in focus. Um, so you've got this, when you're wearing a pair of glasses, a standard pair of glasses with myopia, you've got this constant signal into your eye of get longer, get longer, get longer, which is bad. <laughs> Um, so what like the, the Pinocchio of eye growth. <laughs> so what the new contact lenses do is they uh, aim to bring some of those peripheral light rays back in um, inside the eye, which then blocks that growth signal. Um, but as you can imagine, a contact lens is, is like a dinner plate and there are different regions where you could potentially manipulate the power. So some of these contact lenses look a bit like a, a target. So they've got concentric rings moving outwards of sort of minus power, plus power, minus power, plus power. And they that sort of has a treatment effect, bringing some of those light rays back in. Um, other contact lenses have, uh, you know, some more gradient bits so they move from a minus power to a positive power in different sections and what the glasses do uh the dims glasses from hong kong um they have uh little micro dots scattered around the peripheries of different powers so that's just having a, a it's just a different way of placing the um different optics into the lens uh but it seems to work in a similar way one of the contact lenses has a pinhole design. Um, I don't know if you know what a pinhole camera looks like. Yeah, somewhat. Maybe if you describe it. It's right. basically where you uh, say this was a darkened room and we had a tiny little coin-sized hole. Um, what would happen is the light rays from outside would come through that hole and project onto a, the wall at the back and they'd form a perfect image of what was outside, which is pretty cool. It's like a magic trick. Um, so this contact lens is kind of aiming to do the same thing. There's controversy around whether it, it actually does or not, but um, it's aiming to get those uh, light rays in the central vision coming through uh, and forming sort of a perfect image. And then everything moving out from that central point is a, gets steeply more positive, which means everything around the central point is blurred, which means that you're pushing those light rays back inside the eye, which uh, stops the eye growth, ideally. Wow, that's... Sounds amazing. And it also sounds really positive for children at the moment who are, you know, coming through ophthalmology and have myopia. I'm a little bit jealous of them. I think it's good for the kids who have really bad myopia. Um, I think for the kids who have, have middling levels, there's some optometrists were really uh, quite a bit nervous about these new technologies. They felt like the, the evidence wasn't quite there for some of them. Um, uh, so I don't know if a lot of optometrists would be jumping on to these new treatments and giving them, handing them out to children um, quite yet. But some of them seemed really excited about them and were really gung-ho and happy to just start giving them to all children with myopia. So, What were some of the biggest concerns? Uh, it was just the way the research was done. So with 
some of these lenses, they were done in a randomized control study environment, which is pretty convincing, but other studies weren't randomized. Um, they weren't, uh, they weren't controlled. Um, and they also measured the power change in the children's eyes. Um, so how bad myopia got in terms of how severe their prescription was by the end of the study, but they didn't measure exactly how long the eye grew in that time. Um, and mm-hmm. so the gold standard for figuring out if a child is at risk of eye diseases from myopia is, is how long the eye is growing, not the power change. Um, mm-hmm. So that's why there was there's just a little bit of a gap in uh, the research. So they've done some animal studies where they've uh, got baby chickens and they've put uh, sort of frosted goggle lenses over their eyes, um, which have a negative power, which induces myopia, because what that does is like pushes the light rays again back and stimulates eye growth. Uh, So they know there's some connection, but there's a lot of complications around exactly what is having this effect. So one of the contact lenses designs was (laughs) had this uh, theory to do with spherical aberration, which is just like a scary optical term it basically just means as the light comes through your lens of your eye it twists slightly which means some of the light rays are longer than other light rays when they reach the focal point but like the mathematics of that is very complicated and we haven't done enough hard research to really know what all of the connections are so to start trying that in children I don't know it depends it depends on how confident you are I reckon I'm I don't know having done this research Mm, yeah I might do some more research (laughs) before I I would give it to a child but (laughs) I've always like this is a little bit off topic but I've always just wanted to ask an optometrist in those studies how do they know how much the chicken can see when they (laughs) (laughs) like I just don't understand how they know how bad the myopia is in the chicken and then to test the repairing effect Oh, well, they just, on the chicken because animals have far better instincts to do with knowing distance and knowing depth than we do well obviously they would just sit them down in the optometrist chair and show them some letters and be like can you read this letter and yeah. the chicken would nod or, or not nod yeah. and then you would know that's very true <laughs> or yeah. you could just see if they could like find their way around a, you know a yeah. paddock or something <laughs> see if they can cross the road yeah, but in all seriousness, they have a very expensive machine that measures the length of the eyeball. So that's how they would figure out if chickens could see or not. <laughs> that's good to know. I'm glad. So it was actually really great to hear you explain all the elements of the story in person. It definitely um, gives me a lot to think about as I start to age with myopia. But I also know that you had a lot of problems with this story because in some ways it's you know managing the introduction of a new technology um, and also the opinion of experts who see people with myopia every day. Can you tell me a little bit about this? Yeah, so the problem with a lot of science stories is that we as journalists are attracted to the new, shiny, sparkly, interesting thing. Um, And often those new technologies don't have a huge amount of substantial research to back them up. This is often quite easy to deal with in the drug space because we have very strict standards about when we decide something that has enough evidence behind it um, and the regulators are really strict. But in optometry, it's not like that. So the thresholds of evidence in order to get a product to market are quite a lot lower. Um, So some of these um, contact lenses had only been tried in like 100 children. 
that's not a lot of children. <laughs> um, you would never have that with a drug. So as a journalist, I was struggling with, um, and I did this for about a year of, of whether or not I was going to do this story. I was struggling with whether or not to tell people about these new technologies that I personally thought were quite interesting or whether to hold off and wait until there was more evidence. Felicity, thank you so much for sharing that with us and even the behind the scenes of how you made those editorial judgments. I think it's sometimes really interesting to not just hear the news, but also the struggle behind the, the struggle, news. <laughs> how you actually get the news out of the newsroom. And for all our amazing listeners as well, you can now find The Medical Republic on Spotify, on iTunes, and also our RSS feed on our website. Hey, tomorrow, hey, tomorrow.